Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Today we're talking about Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And Jesus sums up his entire ministry in one sentence of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. And here's what it says. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, the word lost implies value. If, if someone tells me I'm lost, it tells me I'm worth finding. Isn't that right? If you're lost, it tells me, hey, there's value in that, that I have to find them. Or let's ask this for a, a moment. Is a lost credit card valuable to you? Well, it is if it's yours. That's for sure. Is a lost wedding ring valuable to you? It, it hasn't lost any of its value. It, it, it's, it's, it's just lost, right? So spiritually lost, when you come to this, we just, I just kind of want to put some flesh on this for a moment. What does spiritually lost mean? Sometimes it's hard to put it to words, but amongst the many, here's a couple of, of uh, definitions for that. It means to be disconnected from God. Spiritually lost people are disconnected from God. There is no relationship that they have with God through Jesus Christ. It's disconnected. Also, to be deceived by Satan. That's, that's another thing that happens when spiritually lost people inside of their lives. They're deceived by Satan. Also, it means to be detoured from God's plan from and for their life. Every one of us have gotten detoured. It, 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 we have in our life, and so we have to realize spiritually lost, there's a detour. It means I've been defeated by my own impulses, my own habits, and my own sin. So spiritually lost means disconnected from God, deceived by Satan, detoured from God's plan for my life, and then it means I'm defeated by my own sinful impulses and habits. We need to realize that we need God's power because our willpower isn't enough. How many of you are with me? Yes. Our willpower isn't enough, or we would have done it by now. That's why we need God's power to be found in him. We need his power. So if lost people matter to God, they should matter to us, right? Jesus loves bad people. How many of you know that? God loves bad people. So if we're honest, mostly good people like to look down on mostly bad people. And we can label people with all kinds of things in, in their life, with, with small, medium, large, extra large, really large sins, right? You can't find anywhere in the Bible where God distinguishes between categories of sin. You can't show it to me. I can't show it to you. But know this, to God, all sin is equally evil, but all sinners are equally lovable. Did you get that? I'm going to say that again. To God, all sin is equally evil. All sinners are equally lovable. Now, let me say this. Sins have different consequences, but God calls sin, sin. And Jesus was willing to accept anyone, no matter who they were, to love anybody. Nowhere is this more evident than in the life of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, the Bible says. He was really short in stature. And verse 1, and now listen, every time 
I hear the name Zacchaeus. My mind goes back to my childhood when I sang Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree to see who he could see. How many of you sang that song when you were growing up? A lot more in the second than there was in the first, that's for sure. You're definitely more spiritual than the first service. I just want you to (laughs) definitely know that. Okay, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus' response to that was, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are what? Loss. We know, in the context of when this is written, that the Israelites of Jesus' day look down at tax collectors. They have thieves. They worked for the Roman government, which ruled Israel at the time, collecting taxes from their own people and hand the money over to the powers that be. He was a professional cheat. He was an embezzler, making up tax amounts on the fly. But rumor has it that Jesus is coming to town, into Jericho, and he might be the Messiah, they're thinking. I don't, I don't think Zacchaeus was thinking at that moment, well, Jesus is going to save me from my amazing life and from my huge house and my affluence. He was famous in every sense of the word, but it was a negative sense. But it was famous. People are lining the streets as Jesus makes his way into Jericho. First picture that you'll see behind me is a picture of sycamore tree in Jericho. Chris and I got to travel there this month and be there, and we were coming into town. It's not the clearest picture because we were inside of the bus. As we came into town, and uh, the walls of Jericho were just a little bit behind us on the right. They were crumbled down. There was hardly anything left of it. But you see this coming into town. This is a sycamore tree. And our bus driver said, hey, our tour guide said, hey, everybody, to your right is a sycamore tree. And this is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed while Jesus was coming into town. And we're all snapping pictures, you know, how we do. I'm sorry, and he goes, well, we think that was the tree. We're not sure. I was like, shoot, I already sent that to my kids. That this is the tree. But uh, sycamore trees don't last that long. That's why he said that. But a couple other pictures behind that are the city of Jericho. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. Zacchaeus can't see Jesus because of his stature and decides to climb the sycamore tree to get a look at Jesus. And then to Zacchaeus' surprise, Jesus looks up at him and calls him by name Zacchaeus. And you imagine Zacchaeus, what? You know me? I mean, how do you know me by name? You know, it's been said, the sweetest sound to anyone's ear is his or her own name. Let's just try that out for a minute. Can you turn to the person next to you and just say their name? Come on, just do it. Now, if you don't know their name, this is church. It's okay to ask their name. We do that here. I'm glad you're here. I mean, wasn't that special? I mean, yes. 
It's been said that sweetest sound is somebody saying your name. That's amazing. Wow. You're known, right? You're known. So Zacchaeus, hurry down here. Come on. I'm headed right now to your house, and we don't know what their conversation was because the Bible doesn't tell us what it was. But where other people didn't care uh, about Zacchaeus, Jesus did. And we realize that he was rejected by men. He is infamous. He is, he is notorious. And Jesus knows everything about him but doesn't reject him. And after this conversation, we see with Jesus, Zacchaeus can't contain himself any longer, proclaims, I'm changing everything. That's what the text says. I'm changing everything, Jesus. That's powerful. I'm changing everything. I'm going to start giving my money away. Matter of fact, half of my money is going to the poor, those that don't have much. And then he says, anybody that I've ever cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times what I stole. What are we saying to this? A moment with Jesus changes absolutely everything in our lives. That I could stand up here and speak for 30 or 35 minutes, and you might not be changed. But just a moment in Jesus' presence changes absolutely everything in our lives. If you're with me, say amen. That's true. Jesus changes everything. I pray today in our time of praise and worship that you came in contact with Jesus, and you sensed his presence, and you are changed because you can be changed. You ever wondered what Jesus said that afternoon that, changed a lifelong taker into a lavish giver. In reality, you know, it probably wasn't what Zacchaeus talked about. It was the person that he was with, Jesus. It was about being with Jesus that made the difference in his life. What changed? Was it biblical theology? No. Was it religious duty? No. Deeds? No, not at all. It was just a few moments with God in the flesh. Just a few moments, and we don't even have a record of anyone telling Zacchaeus that, hey, you, you need to ask for forgiveness or even give your money uh, back. But something came over him when he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is that, uh, that uh, each of us are Zacchaeus. And now, we may not be small in stature, but we are spiritually short in our ability and capacity that even when I want to get to Jesus, even, even when, I, when I want to see him, that I have trouble seeing past myself most days. It's hard seeing past our sins and our failures and our egos a lot of times. And we try to run faster and go after him. We climb proverbial trees of, of religion to get to him. And I believe many have a sense of inadequacy and failure that's deep within. And no matter how hard we try to push through, that we realize the words of Romans chapter 3, 23, we realize we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And we think, hey, if I can just get further ahead and I can find something to climb and, and, and get God's attention, then through many, Jesus' attention anyway. That's what we think many times. That's, that's what saves Zacchaeus. It was God's mercy. He's gracious, and, and he, he loves him. And it's not an issue of whether, hey, I, I go to church every week, and I pray him just in prayers, and, and, and I give. He stopped being that he is a friend of sinners. Jesus told Zacchaeus, hurry down, get, get down here, hurry down, hurry down, get down off your traditions, get off your religion where you keep making yourself greater and bigger than sinners. Quit trying to pick yourself up because it's only by the grace and the mercy of God that you and I are saved. Don't spend another day trusting in yourself. Jesus is saying, I need to be with you at this moment. Jesus wants to be with us at this moment, at this moment now. And it's in that moment that Zacchaeus comes to the conclusion that day and he's proclaimed, it came out of him, I'm changing everything, Jesus. 
I am changing everything about me at this moment with your help because I came in contact with you, and that's powerful. But, but just as Zacchaeus makes that proclamation, I am changing everything, Jesus, then Jesus makes a proclamation over him. Today, it says, can you say that with me? Today, let's say it again, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. Zacchaeus is the son of Abraham. I want to encourage you to think about today what you are proclaiming about the Lord Jesus Christ and watch what Jesus wants to proclaim over you. Imagine how Zacchaeus must have been stunned of this proclamation. He's the bad guy. He's the antithesis of a good Jew, but also he's a traitor. For as long as he can remember, he's been on the outside looking in, but in the moment of contact with Jesus, he is on the inside now talking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus changed the spiritual scenery in just a moment. I believe Jesus is still in the business of changing the spiritual sceneries of our life. Amen? Imagine the look of his friends' faces. If there's hope for him, there has to be hope for me. How many of you ever said that about somebody that you know? No, I know you're not going to raise your hand, are you? Like, man, if there's hope for them, there's got to be hope for me because they are terrible, right? We, we, we know that. Jesus summed up his entire life mission after this account. He says, I'm here to find and help lost people. That's why I have come to this earth. That's why I've come. I, I pray that the church never loses the simplicity of the gospel of why Jesus came and why each and every one of us are here as Christ followers, that we are here to find and to help lost people. Let's not forget why the doors are open on this church and churches in the world and America and throughout the Shenandoah Valley today, but that is why we are here. It's to help find lost people that are in need of Jesus. I just encourage you for a moment. Would you think about somebody that's lost spiritually in your life that you know, whether it, is, it could be your spouse, it, it could be your son or daughter, it could be a relative today, somebody that's next to you, your desk at school. It could be a teacher, a principal, co-worker. Would you put their name in there? As Jesus said, my life's mission is this. I'm here to help find Tim. I'm here to find Tom, I'm here to help find the student sitting next to me, Mark, and help lost people. Put their name in there. That's Jesus' life mission. It's our life mission as Christ followers. And there's story after story of Jesus coming to super bad people of the New Testament and changing their life, like Zacchaeus, but also Matthew. We have the account of another tax collector. Matthew never forgot the inexplicable willingness of Jesus to look past occupation and to see him as a person. In Jesus' conversation with Matthew, he lumps all humanity in two groups. This is it. This is it. If you want to get it, this is Jesus. This is Jesus now. This is not mankind. He says, "I." there's a lumping of of humanity in two groups, people who think they are righteous and there are people who know they are sinners. That's it. That's just it. 
We make it complicated many times, but Jesus said, hey, I bring it down to this. It's that there's people that think they are righteous, and then there are people that know they are sinners. There's no sliding scale. There's no grading on a curve, no relative goodness, no labels. We either pretend we don't know him or we acknowledge we do. But the common denominator is we all need help today. And we can't prop ourselves up by looking at people who do worse things than us. You know, I just want to say this because it just came to my heart. We got to stop expecting non-Christians to act like Christians. Hello, are you with me, church? I mean, we got to stop this stuff, the craziness that goes on. We're expecting sometimes non-believers to act like Christian or what they, no, they're not going to know. But that's why we're here, like Jesus is the flesh out, seeking and finding and helping them, right? In reality, for many, the greatest hindrance to receiving the grace of God is not their filthy sins. It sometimes comes down to just no deeds, empty. Jesus wanted to be friends with Zacchaeus and Matthew and the Pharisees, they couldn't handle it. And when we find Pharisees in the Bible, they're usually doing one thing, pointing out sinners. They were professional finger pointers, right? And for them, it was job security by doing that. That's how they got their job security. That's how they got puffed up on the, uh, on the inside. And so I don't know about you, but I found out it's a lot easier to have self-righteousness than humility and compassion rather than dealing with my own stuff most days. And what we need to be reminded is, is that our rules are not proof of our spirituality, but they are proof of our sinfulness and our tendency to wrongdoing, and we need help. And that Jesus is always, has always been and forever will be obsessed with the sinner. To show mercy to those that deserved it the least, and he's always been committed to giving hope to hopeless people and to show grace to the worst of sinners, me. And in full view, Jesus hangs out with them. In full view, people knew about it. In Matthew, the account, he's hanging out with who? Oh, my goodness, with, with the prostitutes and the pimps. And he's hanging out with, in our day, the crackheads. And in culture, to hang out with, with somebody in that day was to identify with him. He loves spending time with them. The reminder is this, that you do not need to be good to be Jesus' friend. You just need to be honest. If these accounts of Zacchaeus and Matthew show us anything, you don't have to be good when you come to Jesus' coming and saying, honestly, I, now that I come in contact with you, Lord, I am a filthy, rotten scum. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to kind of drill into this a little bit before we end. When I say confession and you're a Catholic, I know what comes to mind. And I'm not here ripping on any other religion or whatever it may be. And you think of the sacrament of penance, and you're taught that after you're baptized and you go see a priest and you confess your sin to a priest and then you're absolved of your sin, that's routine. That's a part of your lifestyle. If you're Protestant, we are, we have our own system. We feel superior to Catholics because we don't have to go to a priest, you know? So here's the Protestant way. We're taught to tell God directly about the sins that we have committed. We've been taught that once we tell God all the sins that we've committed in our lives, that we realize and we think many times that God doesn't remember them anymore. How many have ever heard that? That God doesn't remember your sin anymore. And basically what we've done is we've unloaded our sin bucket and we take our empty 
sin bucket back with us into the week, and we fill it up again with sin. And then we say, oh, God, I feel so terrible, and, and, and i got to empty my sin bucket. And somehow that we have been taught that God magically forgets our sin, and we feel superior to the Catholics because we think that we have a better system, don't we? I know I'm picking on everybody. I'm just kind of level on the playing field today because this is God's word. In all religious systems, Protestant, Baptist, Lutheran, in all these systems, there's a way in which people try to outsmart God. And we think God is so dumb that once I confess my sins, and we think he, once I confess them, he forgets them, right? He's going to forget it, and we confess the same things over and over again, and God's like, well, you got me there, right? (laughs) We think about it. And here's the problem with that. Trying to outsmart God is sin. So if you're doing this, you're dishonoring God. If you're a Catholic, you know this confession system didn't show up until about 600 AD. And it began as penance. We've heard this word. Where did we get the word penance? Repentance is where it began. Repentance, you know, it's way worse than penance. Repent is like, don't do it anymore. I like penance better than repentance, right? I mean, it just seems easier. So I want to do it some more. But repentance is that complete change. Check this out. Check, if you look at this, you go, you got to confess your sin. But when you confess your sin, the understanding is you confess your sin to a priest one time. The expectation is you weren't going to do that sin anymore. And we come to God and tears are flowing and we're snotting, right? We're snotting good and we're, you know, and we, it's, it's kind of, that's the, that's the system that we have been taught many times. And for those of us who, who are going to go to God with our sin and we believe many times that God doesn't, God doesn't forget our sin. We have to come to the truth of the matter that so many times in religions that we've been told, well, God forgets our sin. And let me tell you something. You know why God doesn't forget your sin? Because your mama won't allow him to forget your sin. And you know your ex-wife. She's not going to allow God to forget about your sin. And your ex-friends are not going to allow God to forget your sin. All right, you know, you got me now, right? So there's a half a dozen people talking about your sin, and God's like, he did? She did? I forgot all about that. Right? God doesn't forget your sin. He forgives your sin. And there are a couple scripture verses that, that gets kind of twisted in people's mind. And here's how we know God doesn't forget your sin in mind just because we confess it. Remember this Old Testament story about King David and, don't say her name. Don't say her name just in case God's forgotten. The Bible documents sin, Right? God knows the story of David and Bathsheba. Do you think that's the only sin God hasn't forgotten? No, God doesn't forget your sin. See, I point that all out into this huge arena of confusion when it comes to the area of confession. Somewhere along the line that we begin to believe, and I begin to believe, and I'm not sure where it came from, somehow the reason we confess, the point of confession is to relieve our guilt or to relieve our conscience. So over time, what happens is it becomes all about me. I don't feel good about me, 
And I feel like there's something between me and you, God. And how do I get rid of this guilt? Well, i got to confess it, and I will confess my sins to you. And, and now I confess my sins to a priest, and I'm going to feel better. And, and I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to confess. And somehow we think confession is all about guilt relief, that it's all about clearing our conscience. When you open the scriptures, that is not what you find. If you study the word confess, confession, there's never any passage in the Old or the New Testament that brings the idea of confession and conscience together. But here's what you will find in Scripture. True confession serves as a first step toward true repentance and reconciliation. That's beautiful. Repent like I'm not going to do it anymore. Reconciliation like you sin against someone else. True confession leads you back to that person and makes things right with that person, whatever's been done. Real confession is, I'm going to tell God I'm sorry, and then I'm going to tell you I'm sorry. That I confess the same things over and over and over, and there's never any change, but I feel better about myself. But when you embrace confession and confessing the way that Jesus taught, it's threatening. But what happens is it results in change, which is the ultimate goal of confession. In fact, genuine confession leads to genuine change. That's what happens. Real, honest confession leads to change. And, and that's what confession was given to us for, that God had never intended it to be an internal game that makes us feel better about ourselves. Religious systems have developed that. We have developed that. We've taken that sometimes to the next mile. But we have to realize genuine confession leads to genuine change. How do we know that? Because the people that Jesus came in contact with in the New Testament, there was genuine change when they came and there was repentance. Such as Zacchaeus that said, I am really going to change, Jesus. Well, and then he says, how is he going to change? He said, listen, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor, people that, that are in need, and then I'm going to repay those that I've done wrong and I've cheated out of their taxes four times the amount. That's genuine change. Confession leads to change, right, for all of us. Confession is powerful. If you look at all the passages of Scripture in the Bible about confession, and most of them have been uh, people going to confess other people uh, not only to, to God, but to other people, people against whom we sin, people who can hold us accountable to make sure there's repentance and also reconciliation. The Pharisees thought the Messiah was only coming, we know, for a select few, for the religious few. But, but Jesus said over and over again that he came for the broken and, and the bad and the bound and the addicted and the deceived and the lost and the hurting. And sometimes we are a lot like Zacchaeus. We've been doing this sin thing so long that sometimes we, we have weaknesses, failures, and a propensity toward doing wrong, and some get outright cynical about it. We think many times even Jesus couldn't set me free. We, we get into that mindset many times ourselves. We, we've done the sin thing so long. Jesus, I, I don't even know if he can set me free. I tried so hard. And maybe today it's a secret sin. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, all sins are the same, but... I, Sins have different consequences. We, we understand that something that controls your life, that just continue to jerk you around. And, 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 and we need to come to the understanding of what true confession does, that we can be free from that. That You may be here today, and you're having an affair on your spouse, and you say, they don't even know it. They don't, they don't, they don't know it. 
I'm doing something so private and so secret, and I think I'm getting away. But people have said, you're never going to change, and you're starting to believe them. But, but listen, I always want you to know this, that, that this church is a place where sinners are always welcome here. Always. Every day, every time, every moment the doors are open, we are here for sinners. You have to know that Jesus is not your accuser. Not your prosecutor, not your judge. He's your friend and he is your rescuer today. So I just encourage you, would you spend time with Jesus? Because really, if he's the one that can really change us, yes, with the help of other people, but if he's the one that can really change us, spend time with the one that can change you. Spend time with Jesus. How does that look for you in your life? It's going to be different than probably the person next to you, but spend time. Don't allow the opinions of others shape your understanding of him. Let's pick up the word again, and let's not look to tradition, but let's look to the word of life that says, well, how do I get free? Well, I need to repent, and I need to confess my sins, and that, that genuine change is going to come when I come, and I'm honest before God. And God, that I'm not going to do this again. There's going to be change, just like Zacchaeus said. I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I'm a changed person through Jesus. So no sinner is um, irreparable or irredeemable. And no sin is so great that the blood of Jesus can't cover it. That's what I want you to know. So his love's deep. His love is wide. And he wants to give that to you today. We sang about it. His love is fierce. I don't know about you. His love is fierce for you. Amen. His love is fierce. So amen. He can forgive our past, our present, our future. So Sin is not a problem to God. He sent Jesus Christ, and Jesus took care of it. Many times it's a problem for us, but it's not a problem for God. It's not a problem for God. So your sin is not a problem for God. You could be shaming yourself secretly today, but it's not a problem for God because Jesus has come, and Jesus is a friend of sinners, just like you and just like